0: Welcome back, friends, to Music Therapy and Beyond, a podcast focused on education, wellness, and advocacy for the music therapy profession. I'm Kristen, a board-certified music therapist, and I'll be your host today. I've got a cup of tea and a comfy blanket, and I'm excited to sit down and chat all things music therapy with you. Today is our second clinical segment focused on clinical strategies to use in our therapy sessions, homes, schools, and other treatment centers, filtered all through the eyes of trauma-informed care. This is an extension from our very first learning segment, which is episode number one for trauma-informed care, a review and call to action. If you haven't listened to that episode, I highly encourage you to go do that first And then come back here and and meet us back here. So let's take a moment before we dig into the episode to center ourselves, and then we'll jump into the episode. Let's dig in. But before we jump headfirst into that clinical discussion, let's set the stage just a little bit for a brief overview of trauma-informed care. First, and probably most important, is that according to the Adverse Childhood Experience or the ACE study as it is well known, we can and should assume that the majority, if not every person we encounter has some level of trauma. That makes learning about trauma-informed care not just a good idea, but an ethical responsibility for us as clinicians and allied health care providers. And I would also extend that to parents and teachers as well. Second, due to the neurologic reactions between the internal brain structures um, that are um, observed in prolonged and persistent trauma, we see this unbalanced feedback loop between um, two of the internal structures, both the amygdala and the hippocampus. If you want more in-depth information about these brain structures, head on over to episode number one and then meet me right back here. But for those that are here and have, have listened to it and um, want to continue, the major point here is that trauma alters the brain. It does it so in a negative way and it impairs an individual's ability to function. So let's listen to that again. The major point is that trauma alters the brain in a negative way and impairs an individual's ability to function. This unbalanced system can affect numerous functions, such as the ability to feel empathy, attention, Academic performance, impaired social skills, increased aggression, inability to regulate self, and many, many other symptoms. When the brain is in this heightened sense of stress that is brought on by a trauma experience or a trauma sensory input stimulus that can be like being re traumatized, um, you know, uh, triggers and things like that, um, that cause this heightened sense of stress the brain cannot function or develop normally. So as clinicians, this is where we come in. And this is, this is why it's important for us is because the clients and, and even I would say as teachers, um, you know, you're going to be experiencing students that have trauma. And so it's important to know some strategies to use in the classroom, um, with this trauma informed care lens, um, that you're looking through. So in the last episode, we spoke about the neurosequential model of therapeutics, and that is developed by Dr. Bruce Perry, which describes the difference between unpredictable and predictable environments that lead to vulnerability or resilience, respectively. So unpredictable leads to vulnerability, predictable leads to resilience. We highlighted the therapist, parents, caregivers, teachers, and other positive adult figures' role as being the second path, which is very rich with predictability, which leads to resilience and actively attenuates or begins to heal the trauma. We do this in three ways one, creating consistency and predictability, two, building connections or positive relationships, and three, learning social and emotional skills. We also highlighted the relationship between all three of these factors of change where they build and support each other. So for instance, um, creating like a consistent and predictable environment in your session, classroom, home supports your connection with an individual, which then leads to opportunities to learn and practice social and emotional skills in a safe and supportive environment. So as you can see all of these strategies can build and support on one another. I'm sure that you are already thinking of ways that you can utilize these strategies that we just spoke about. Consistency, predictability, etc. And the truth is that many of the protocols and strategies and interventions that we use as music therapists and other creative professionals and teachers are really effective. In fact, music is an amazing tool. And I like sets of three. So for the next half of this podcast, we're gonna use um, a formula of three. Number one, awareness. Number two, learning. And three, intention. Now the first step in implementing effective trauma-informed care is awareness. This is part of what we've already addressed. Awareness of the prevalence of trauma and awareness of those three main factors of predictability and consistency connection and learning social and emotional skills as those um, factors of change now comes our learning the second um, part of my formula this is where we look at effective strategies that can help in combating the effects of trauma for our clients students and children Now, I do want to make a note here that all of our resources and links are available on the show notes at our website at www.musictherapyandbeyond.com. I also want to mention and caution you, as I did in the first episode of this trauma series, that this series is not meant to replace official education on the subject or be a complete review of trauma-informed care. I highly encourage you to seek out more information, as being trauma-informed is a continual journey that involves bringing awareness and intentionality to your practice and work with individuals and groups, and honestly in your home. So, this episode is by no means a complete list of strategies, but rather is meant to pique your interest and give you ideas to get started with on your trauma-informed journey. Let's look first at strategies to align with that first factor of change, the consistency and predictability. So what does this look like? Like on a daily basis, basis, what are they talking about? Consistency and predictability. This may look like predictable daily structure. Um, So family meals, limited media and television, consistent exercise and sleep routine, positive relationships in the home, and in one's community for support and connectedness in this environment parents and other positive adult relationships are responsive they're predictable and they're safe strategies for this factor of change within a clinical setting seem simple right consistency predictability we know we know this is important these are important things but the truth is that they are simple strategies but they're sometimes The difficult aspect is creating the right consistency for your clients or your students or your child and follow through. So choosing the right strategy and following through. So here are a few ideas to consider. Number one, creating and following a routine and schedule seems simple. So here are some ideas, including consistent schedule within the framework of your therapy sessions. Let's say, a specific flow of intervention types so your clients or students know what to expect. This can be in a classroom too as a teacher. This is, of course, um, can be for children and adults. So it's not just children oriented. It's for adult clients as well and adult groups, individuals and groups. So maybe it looks like you have a greening intervention and then following that you always have a sensory or a brain break. Maybe you are like a warm-up. Maybe you, always, you then always go into a social skills, and then another sensory opportunity, and then maybe group drumming, um, and then maybe a mindfulness and cool intervention, cool down intervention, and then it concludes with a farewell. Farewell. That might be just like a very simple, but it's a consistency that you would have those areas or types. That doesn't mean that the intervention is always the same, but it means that the um, client can expect what's coming next. So within this, you can further create predictability with like a consistent hello and goodbye song, which lots of music therapists we do, um, but consistent like brain breaks or wellness interventions. Um, so whether that's breathing exercises or like improvisation or things like that, if you, you know have it at a specific place in your session so that the client knows where to expect it. Um, consistent group interaction options such as drumming or songwriting. Maybe it's at a specific time in the session. Now, as music therapists, we're also taught to have lots of flexibility, and we want to make sure that we're not teaching the intervention, um, but training the goal. So it's This is, we want to make sure we have a a delicate balance, but know that when you are, especially with children, when you're consistently starting in trauma-informed care and you're building that initial relationship, it's very important to keep things consistent and predictable. Then once they have the framework and they're comfortable and they feel and they know that this is a safe place, and this goes with adults and children, know that it's a safe space then that's where you can alter things and then just slightly so that then um, they can learn that resilience aspect. So you want to make sure that you change it eventually, but first you have to have enough consistency and predictability for them to feel safe in your environment. So it's important to create an expected energy flow within your session so your clients and students know what to expect at what time in the session. So clients need to know what things, when things start, how they're going to start, when they're going to end, and how they're going to end, and what to know and how to, what to expect in between. So creating a consistent and positive routine of entering and exiting the session is also important. So it's not just within your sessions, but also when you're coming, when they come into the session, and when they leave. So if they're, if you have a huge group of, um, let's say eight nine ten year olds that come and they just kind of all grab a chair and they're this is an opportunity for a lot of un- for them to be unregulated. And then you start a session unregulated and you kind of, it's an uphill climb. So what is that consistent and safe routine that happens before they enter your session? And then what is that safe routine that they have, that they know to expect after your session? Again, this is groups and individuals, adults and children. So this brings me to a very, very important topic and probably my favorite topic to discuss in most things is transitions. In my opinion, this is one of the most important, if not the most important, aspect of planning for a session. I have seen more beautifully designed music therapy sessions fall completely apart because a clinician didn't think about the transitions. Here is where we look at the macro And the micro transitions, these are respective to each environment, but macro transitions typically involve a physical movement in and out of a space where micro transitions tend to um, be within an activity such as a therapy session within circle time, etc. So macro transitions, these are those big transitions, are those that mostly happen into the therapy session and out of the therapy session. So just like we talked about, consistent routine as they enter and they exit. In the school setting, let's say these are transitions between classrooms. Maybe they're, they're moving classrooms for different um, times during their day, um, or from recess to the classroom, or the lunchroom to the classroom, Or um, on a smaller scale, these macro transitions can even be from like different parts of the day within the classroom. So if they're like a classroom that stays inside, especially now in the middle of a pandemic, most of our classrooms are not moving different rooms or going in the hallways. But even within like circle time to like a seated writing time uh, to reading time. So those are all different major where the child is. The child in that situation is going to be getting up and moving to a different spot. So that's an opportunity for, to be unregulated. So in the homes, here are some ideas of macro. So going to and from the car, to a restaurant or to an event to and from these big major changes on a smaller scale these can also be to and from like bed and nap time so those transitions during the day between mealtime and bedtime or play time and reading time where they're physically moving spaces so those micro transitions so those were those macro those big trans- bigger transitions But what are those micro, like mini transitions um, that happen that we almost don't even think about, but as clinicians and as parents and as teachers, we have to think about, um, especially with trauma-informed care. So these happen mostly inside of a therapy session or inside of a classroom. Examples of these would be between interventions. So between intervention one and intervention two and all of the interventions um, in your therapy session in a classroom this could be those transitions where you know you're in circle time it's all within circle time but it's you know you're finishing calendar the calendar and activity to maybe you're going to a letter activity and there's you know you have you know maybe visual aids that you're switching and maybe clients are switching and things like this and students are switching jobs those are opportunities to really um have times that are unsafe for for clients because it's they don't know what to expect in those times so we have to give them that structure in the home it looks like transitions during specific routines such as like bedtime routines so going upstairs Brushing your teeth, getting dressed, reading, singing, and actually getting into bed, f- covers up. So, what do those transitions look like in your day for your clients, or in your home, or in your classroom? Um, depending on on what um, lens you're looking at at this uh, podcast with, but what are those macro and what are those micro? And just being really aware of of where where those are. And here's a really great way I always think about what transitions are when we really break it down. It's the space between. So my mind directly goes to Dave Matthews. The space between the tears we cry and the laughter that keeps us coming back for more. Okay, so I digress. But hopefully that will help you remember that transitions are the space between in my professional opinion this is as important as the interventions you create if your transitions are unpredictable and not planned then it will be an unsuccessful experience for a client and that can cause the client to feel unsafe which is exactly what we do not want in trauma-informed care a therapy session should feel cohesive and be consistent with flow of energy from start to finish With opportunities for successful transitions, successful transitions for clients with trauma are, they're essential. They're, they're essential in having a productive therapy session. So, um, and I would say the same thing for a classroom. So now I'm going to stop there in transitions because I could dig so much deeper into transitions and in future episodes, I will specifically um, address that. But for now, just begin to bring your awareness to what macro and micro transitions in sessions, classrooms and homes look like. Specifically for trauma-informed care strategies, these are highly important. This might look like a specific sensory strategy of patting the legs while children transition from one intervention to the next. Or maybe in an adult session, the transition might be you as the clinician creating a sound transition or a flow um, between like a major intervention switch. This is where you can get to be creative as you look at what is best for you and your environment. I'll tell you in my home, I have two littles, a two and a four-year-old. And we have specific sung transitions between everything, basically throughout the day. But specifically between like playtime and meal time where they have to stop what they're doing, they have to pick up their toys, and then we have to move. So we have a specific pick up and move on song. Um, that we've modeled for years and now our children use it themselves. My daughter, who's four and a half, sings it for my son, who's two. And so um, that's like a win-win. That's exactly what we want. We want them to learn it themselves so then they can stay regulated rather than us saying, please pick up your toys and it's a big mess. We just, I start singing it or, you know, they start singing it by themselves. And um, it's just a beautiful, beautiful transition example. Um, so it creates, creates predictability and agency for them. It gives them, them the control in the situation. They have control over their emotions and their reactions in that time. And so uh, that's what we want to do for our, our students and our clients as well. Transitions are important. So begin to look at the space between in your clinical settings. Next is creating consistency and predictability in the physical environment of your session. So, are there clients on the floor. Are there colored dots? What dots specifically do they go to? Are they in chairs? Having a predictable expectation and flow for the environment is essential in creating safety. So consistency in the room, what portion of the room are you using? What do the, what are the lights on? Are they on? Are you using natural light or do you have to use the, um, you know, fluorescent lights? Um, is the room picked up? We might not think about that. Like that might not bother us, but for especially for those clients that um, might also present with um, sensory deficits or other needs, the lights or the fact that the room is messy might feel unsafe and cause them to feel unregulated before they even enter our sessions. So creating a safe space or a sensory calm down area is also a great idea. Um, and there are lots of resources on that, um, and that's a really important, um, area, especially if you're doing a group setting where you, um, want to have a space that's safe away from the groom, but still in the same room for, um, a, a or an individual to, to help regulate themselves. And lastly, a predictable environment, um, where they are consistent with expectations for behavior. And communicating clear boundaries with your relationship as a client and a clinician, and within peers in a sen- in a group setting. So this might look like songwriting group expectations, including respect, compassion, being helpful, being friendly, and other. Um, other words that would would help to communicate expectations these can be written out and posted on a wall for all of the group members to see for an individual to see even within a session an individual session they can be referred to each session and might even be like a chant or a song um that you do and you you know you you engage in at the beginning of your session and then that builds that predictability or and around the expectations in your session secondly is consistent consequences so positive and negative so there are natural consequences for you know positive and negative choices and so highlighting what those natural consequences are and being very clear but rather than this punitive or punishment reaction. This is, we want to move away from your, it's punishment for a negative. It's just a natural consequence for negative or breaking those boundaries. Here is the, here is the consequence and being clear upfront about what those consequences are. So consequences should be logical they should be opportunities for the client to learn. They should be consistent and based on pre-agreed upon expectations. So these are um, expectations that everybody has agreed upon, either in the individual session between the client and the clinician or in the classroom or the group setting, but expectations everybody has agreed upon and agrees to follow. And then when those are those are maybe broken, then there's a consistent uh, consequence that is a natural um, opportunity for to learn for that that um, individual who who broke that boundary, and then lastly is us as clinicians is consistent caregiver adult emotional responses. So this is so important. Um, we want to have an even temper and a vocal tone that is very even um, and clear directives that align with the boundaries and expectations that we've identified. Focus on that assertive tone rather than a passive or an aggressive tone. So we want that assertive tone and that tone invites cooperation. It communicates clearly. It utilizes a voice tone of no doubt, which is the sky is above, the ground is below, pick up your toys. sky is above, the ground is below, Please take your instrument and put it in the box. Intention of helping also goes with that. So, wanting them, to, for you wanting to help them, um, clear statements of feelings, thoughts, and wishes. So, being very clear, being very assertive, but not passive or aggressive. So, There's a lot that goes into consistency. It seems so simple, consistency and predictability, but when you break it down, it's in a lot of different areas. So let's recap. Consistency and predictability, schedule and routine. Number one, transitions, those macro and micro transitions. Three, physical environment. And last but not least is that predictable environment where clear and consistent expectations boundaries and consistency of emotional responses from the caregiver or the positive adult you as the client or the clinician or the teacher um, need to be consistent. So, the second factor of change that we spoke about in the beginning is connection or positive relationships. So, first was that consistency and predictability, and now the second factor is connection or positive relationships. So, you can see how all of this actually builds on one another. So, the neurosequential model of therapeutics highlights the importance of regulation in trauma informed care. This is also aligns with the research of the polyvagal theory, which we're not going to dig into at all today, but we will in future episodes. With these theories, the basic concept is that we as humans cannot function properly or make any progress in therapy if we are not first regulated. That includes the client and the clinician, the student and the teacher, the child and the parent. Now, many of us see this in our homes, and our clinical practices, and in our schools. If a client is unregulated, they cannot access their executive functions or their higher order thought processes. The importance here is to help our clients, our child, our students learn to self-regulate and so they can then transition out of that primitive brain stem and midbrain area functioning which is brought on by that fight and flight response brought on by those trauma experiences or triggers and we want to move them and transition them into that cortex their thinking brain so then they can relate and they can reason to do this we as clinicians parents and teachers and other caring adults do this by teaching and guiding them by modeling and helping in learning this behavior. This first starts by building a positive, healthy relationship with them that creates an environment of safety. The the neuro-sequential model of therapeutics also conducted research on the effects of this co-regulation with a reactive child and a well-regulated teacher versus a reactive child and an overwhelmed teacher. In this, they observed that a child in alarm and fear was able to regulate to a calm state when the teacher engaged them with predictable, positive, and repetitive activities. We all know what happens when that clinician or what happens with that teacher who was unregulated, the child then escalates and then no one is calm. And then we have a a big situation on our hands. So that goes exactly the direction we don't want it to go. But what this study showed was that co-regulation is effective and how important it is. So in this instance of this second factor of change, which is to connect and build positive relationships, we as the caregiver, parent, teacher, clinician, want to first help the individual regulate. That is the number one, it's three R's. It's regulate, then relate, then reason. So, first, we want to help our individual regulate. Second, we must relate and connect with the individual through an attuned and sensitive relationship, building positive rapport with them. And finally, in that third step, we can support the individual to reason by reflecting, learning, remembering, articulating, and becoming self assured after an incidence and this happens over time obviously this isn't going to happen the first time we meet with a client but it's going to ha- happen and build over time and um and that's the importance of that consistency because um consistency is so important in helping to to not only regulate but to relate um and then eventually getting to that that third aspect which is to to reason so strategies for this include building rapport, relationship building. This can be done in a number of ways um, that we've spoke about in this last section, including creating predictable and consistent environments, consistent consequences and boundaries, consistent responses, including an assertive tone, and an overarching relationship built on unconditional positive regard. So the second aspect of this factor of connection is that wider community. So now we've talked about that kind of individual relationship between the, the individual and the, um, adult or the, uh, if it's a adult client and an adult, um, uh, clinician, it's building that, that individual connection between the two of them. Um, it, the next, uh, uh, circle I guess is this wider community and this can be in a group of peers family members siblings parents school staff at the school or staff at the facility etc cetera, etc cetera. developing these rich environments in our families, schools and clinical settings is important to build that strong support system of safety to help an individual build resilience For clinicians and teachers, we can work with parents and other influential caregivers in the client and the student's life to develop strategies and consistency across settings. For music therapists, this might look like consulting with parents about strategies to use at home, bringing when it's safe to do so in the therapeutic relationship, have parents and siblings join sessions to help build that connection. It looks like building group cohesion and connection through your music interventions. We'll stop there today, but I do hope that you take some time to comment and share your own thoughts and ideas so we can learn from you. Now, as we transition into the end of this segment, the last factor of change that we talked about. So first was predictability and consistency. Number two was building connections and positive relationships. And the last factor is to learn social and emotional skills. Now this one music and creative arts services are uniquely ad- designed to address. If we look back at the the formula that we had the regulate, relate and reason formula from the neurosequential model, we identify regulate as the first and most important aspect of trauma-informed care. First, we must identify when our clients, students and children are showing signs of being unregulated. Signs look different for each individual and can span from hyperarousal, such as aggression, avoidance and eloping impulsive behaviors, to disassociation behaviors of numbness, blank stares, self-harm, fainting, and others. Once you identify a client is unregulated or a child, Then we want to help that child regulate. So regulate, relate, then reason. So regulate. In this instance, we want to assist the child in transitioning from those lower primitive brain structures to those higher cognitive structures. And doing this, we use the sensory system. Strategies for regulation frequently involve our senses of touch, sight, taste, smell, and sound. And might include things like music and movements and other sensory activities, including playing music, of course, brain breaks, breathing, deep breathing, some um, different soft materials and structure or textures, low lighting, massage, or deep pressure touches, yoga and other physical exercises, including walking, soothing scents, chewing gum rocking or swaying, water and sand play, and other fidgets. There are lots of sensory interventions that we can use, um, but the thing that I want to note here is that music is amazing, right? Because music is naturally integrates our senses and activates the whole brain so that we see music as a very beneficial tool for regulation and creating opportunities for social and emotional skills. So we are going to go into much more detail next month in the music segment about specific music interventions that can be used for regulation and some of the other factors of change we have identified above. But for now, let's recap this section. Regulation is the first step in mitigating trauma. We can do this in many ways through music and by integrating the five senses as we addressed above. Once a child or a client is regulated, we can then work on relating to them through building rapport. And finally, we can move to reasoning. So regulate, relate, and reason once they are in a calm state this is where we can give them those brain break strategies to practice at home. Um, Practice it with them in the session and practice them with it at home. Teach emotional awareness and practice those different emotions and then you know transitioning from those different emotion combinations as well. This is also the mental state we can address all manner of social skills within a group and in modeling in our individual sessions. So music just happens to be a really amazing tool, and we're going to dig much deeper into that in our next music segment. So don't forget that it'll be the fourth Monday in March, and we will dig into lots of home strategies. I might even bring our other clinicians on, and we'll have a big um, kind of festival of music and just give all the strategies we can possibly think of um, in one podcast. So don't miss that. We'll be sharing information about that as it comes. So going back to that three formula. So number one was awareness. Number two was learning. We went through a lot of strategies and now the very last one is intention. So awareness, then learning, then intention. So now it comes to reviewing this looking at the show notes reviewing all that you have learned today all that we've encouraged you just to to think about and now intentionally take it back and think about it and and think about the transitions think about where you can be more consistent more predictable think about how you can um, better use your strategies or other strategies in combination with your music um, or in your home if you're a parent listening, um, strategies that you can then use in your home with your children to help regulate. So um, this is where we get really intentional. So we, we have talked about really two different ways of, of mitigating trauma. One is our response of where we're helping to regulate. So that's in response to a trigger where a, um, an individual is unregulated. And then the flip side of that is is putting in those strategies, consistency, predictability, connection, building that relationship that are going to be factors that are going to avoid those unregulated um, or, or at least decrease the amount and duration of those um, times of, of unregulation. So there's a lot today. Um, Please reach out if you have any questions or concerns. This is something that we are learning, that we are digging into just um, as much as you are today. And um, we're still on our our journey, absolutely. feels like at the beginning of our journey. So I hope this was helpful. I hope it was informative. And um, please reach out if you have any questions or I'd love to hear some of your comments. So Next week, all three of us will be here to chat all things wellness. We look forward to sharing a bit more about ourselves and our journey towards wellness in next week's episode to launch on Monday, February 15th. If you liked this episode, please rate and review wherever you listen. We are just beginning here at Music Therapy and Beyond and reviews mean so much. Find all the show notes, links, and resources at www.musictherapyandbeyond.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Music Therapy and Beyond and email us at, you guessed it, Music Therapy and Beyond at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone, and thank you for the work you do in all the places you do it. We'll see you next week.